Good morning, Andy Hoare. Welcome to Friday 15, or good afternoon if you're on the East Coast. The middle of February 2024. Ready to be here. Welcome to Master B2B, Friday 15. Andy, happy Friday. Yeah, happy Friday. We got a good one today. As always, we got a good, uh, got a good, <laughs> that was an abrupt ending the music. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I got, I got trigger happy. <laughs> Do we not pay the bill for that one? Or I guess not. Yeah, they cut us off, you know. <laughs> At least my internet's working. It wasn't two minutes ago. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good thing. So here we are. Well, folks, we got a lot of really uh, cool and exciting stuff to dive into today. Um, and we got a lot of data to share. And we're ta tackling a great topic. But before we do that, Andy, of course, as usual. Oh, wait. I hit the wrong button. They're laughing at us. There we go. There's yeah, the right track. button. Now we need a laugh track. That's right. That's right. Anyway, applause, applause. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we have some breaking news. Let's go ahead and share some of that. Um, Andy, exciting stuff happening this week. Our friends at Owens Corning bought do door maker Masonite for $3.9 billion. My goodness, if this was a consumer retail acquisition, it'd be like headlines on CNN or whatever. But yeah, right? always. Right. But a forest, uh, you know, tree dropping in the woods here, right? No one That's watching. True. $4 yeah. billion. I mean, you're right. I mean, this is a big deal. And this is what makes the real world operate. And like you said, it was hardly mentioned in the news. Well, it's interesting, Andy, and it's anecdotal, but I'm seeing a lot of this kind of activity happening, particularly in distribution where companies are buying you know, other companies as a way to grow their business. So really interesting. Congrats to our friends at Owens Corning on that acquisition. It'll, I'm sure it'll help them grow. Another story, early adopters of Microsoft AI bot wonder if it's worth the money. This is out of the Wall Street Journal. Andy, what's happening here? This is an interesting one. Yeah, well, you know, we're we're in a hype cycle around AI. And I think everybody saw it last year with ChatGPT and their jaws fell to the ground. And then Microsoft said, hey, you know, th through their 12 or $13 billion investment in open AI, let's get this into the product. So they embedded it in the productivity apps for the Office suite. So Word, PowerPoint, Excel. And they started charging companies um, like $30 a month per user to have it embedded. And they've been going through some beta testing for it. And guess what they discovered? That most people don't find it very useful. It hasn't matched, the hype is, the reality has not matched the hype yet. And so they, they put it out there. They had quotes in this article from various CIOs, CDOs, CTOs who signed up for this and said, you know what? It's basically a really impressive writing app. It does a lot of textual yeah. stuff, but the PowerPoint stuff and the Excel stuff is iffy at mm -hmm. best at this point, but they'll smooth that stuff out. What I found interesting is, you know what the killer app has turned out to be? And I know we've even used this before. Yes, I know where you're going. It's meeting notes. Yes. And what's happening is people are turning that on, especially on Teams. And yeah. many of them are not even attending meetings now. So yeah. we'll have a meeting of 10 people across multiple time zones. They'll just send their AI app to join the meeting. It'll, they'll read the summary afterwards. And as one person pointed out, they'll just skip through all the stuff that wasn't relevant to them. You can't do that when you're sitting on the call. So yeah. look for this. And what could be really interesting on the line is we could all have our bots having a meeting on our behalf. On our behalf. Right. Well, yeah. And I'm going to start sending my bot to our meetings. And uh, then, then I don't Wait, have to look at it. <laughs> Exactly. Mm, boy, sorry, you're killing, killing me over here. Hey, um, one thing that I noticed. Right? I'm here all week. 
Excellent. No, I, actually, one thing I noticed, Andy, I was at the AD Summit, e-commerce summit this week in San Antonio, and AI is all, the, I mean, it's all the rage. But what's fascinating is we're starting to see, like you just mentioned on note-taking, some real practical applications, you know, cr coming out of the woodwork. One In one funny example, one company said, hey, I used AI, I used ChatGPT to write my AI security policy. So yeah. is it monitoring itself? I mean, it's really funny. So, I mean, how people are using it. And a lot of it is around, you know, sort of content. So let's get into our topic today. Is online revenue cannibalizing offline revenue? You know, this is a question. I heard it at AD this week, Andy. A couple executives are like, I still, I'm still fighting the fight of, you know, really making the case that digital investments are, you know, existential investments that have to be made. But, but I'm still getting the pushback from the C-suite saying, what's my incremental revenue? And aren't we just shifting revenue from one channel to the other? And you, we pulled some interesting data on this and, you know, the whole shift versus lift argument, right, Andy? And which, which is it, right? And, and honestly, it's, it's some of both, isn't it? It is. But, you know, what I found with B2B companies, and I think B2C companies did this 15, 20 years ago, <laughs> is they would mm -hmm. think about online as another channel, right? Even the channel language is, is amorphous, but they, they think about it as another channel and it had to be self-supporting. It had to be right. self-sustaining, Right. Um, the problem with that is that the online channel is unique in that it actually modifies all the other channels, in particular right. the offline channels. So you can't use it in isolation. But how many times have you and I heard this? People yeah. trying to make the business case for digital and the C-suite saying, well, you're going to have to lift some revenue here online. Right. Ignoring the fact that online actually is saving money that might be defecting to a competitor by... Uh, moving from the offline environment where it's not, you know, wanted or it's right. not well cared for to an online environment where actually all the research shows when you move somebody from the offline to the online, they mm -hmm. spend more, they have a right. better experience, et cetera. So there's a definite reason in B2B to move people from offline to online. Yep. But too many executives, I think, still see that as a one for one trade. Yep. And, I, and they look at the cost of it and say, well, it's going to cost us money. And we're not getting much out of it. It's like, no, wrong, wrong approach. It's the wrong way to think about it, I think. And, and we'll, we have some data in here that will show that. But I mean, B2B e-commerce, Andy, is huge, $2 trillion. I mean, you and I were talking about this prior to our podcast today. And, you know, it's really, it, it, there's enough market in here, you know, to, to satisfy both shift and lift, right? But I think, um, you know, folks have to recognize this is a broader um, effort, a broader trend. Any Any comments on this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's there's enough room here for everybody, and mm -hmm. uh, and the 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 fight is for the future, not the past. And I right. think too many of these companies still think like yep. you, you and I were talking about this earlier. You said you went through this, and when you were in the B two C world, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, it's just amazing we haven't learned these lessons. But you know, if you go to the next slide, mm -hmm. what's even more interesting is that there's some various essence here, but pretty much most agree that B2B e-commerce, excluding EDI and the rest of that stuff, is really about 17% penetrated. Right. Yep. So what about the other 83%? Are they really right. that concerned that if we go from 17 to 18, it's going to destroy the business? Right. And more importantly, it's going from 17 to 18, but it's going to go against a larger denominator because the right. industry is growing. So it isn't a uh, zero-sum game. And I, I, I just think both approaches are highly flawed. But, you know, there's a lot of room here for all the channels to win. And more importantly, it's what mm -hmm. buyers want. 
Well, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Look at this data from McKinsey. B2B decision makers are using more channels than ever to interact with suppliers. In 2016, it was five, right, Andy? Now, this is as of two years ago. It's probably increased since then. Ten as of the end of 2021, 10 channels. Adding channels. So, I mean, the data is telling us that those folks, that people want to use all these channels. And, you know, it's interesting, Andy, you know, some of this, what I would consider to be some of the smartest and most and the fastest growing and and and, and most advanced sort of thinking wise manufacturers in the market, they say to me, hey, I want to I just want to be in front of the customer wherever they want to buy. And I want to be represented there really, really well. And I can't control buyers, buyers preferences on where they want to shop or where they want to buy and look and research product. Why am I trying to control that if I'm a manufacturer? Anyway, you get me on yeah, my some of the so comment much. we got on the, the LinkedIn about this too yeah. is, I mean, I, I feel like a broken record saying this, or is it a broken stream now? I don't know. Yeah, right. A, bro- <laughs> but, a broken uh, podcast, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, the, that isn't the way you judge these things. And, and, uh, I just think that that's why oftentimes we start with metrics because that's really yep. where you need to begin these discussions. Like, what are we really measuring against? Yep. I think that, uh, the fact that people are, buyers are, are prefer to use more channels means that the buyers are going to, as they always have determine where and how, and when sellers are going to sell to them. Right. 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 And uh, there's some more. There's another fascinating uh, finding from uh, a similar McKinsey story or McKinsey uh, report mm-hmm. that uh, this one's a little denser to read. So I'll explain it that the more channels that B2B companies offer selling through, the yeah. more successful they are at stealing share from their competitors. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, companies that are selling through two channels. They reported 51% of those companies that sell through through two channels stole share from their competitors the prior right. year. Yep. Okay. 72% hmm. of B2B companies that sold through seven or more channels claim that they stole share from companies here before. Wow. So there's a Incredible. there's a correlation here between the number of channels you sell through hmm. and the amount of share you're stealing from your competitors. So Buyers want to look, want to participate in multiple channels. And it's showing here that sellers that maximize the number of channels they sell through are actually winning the zero sum game against their competitors by stealing share. It's fascinating. So is the story then, you know, and again, I hear this, I heard this this week, you know, is the story that a chief digital officer or a VP of a VP of marketing or e-commerce or director of e-commerce, you know, how do they overcome the, you know, this is clear clear and good data. How do you translate this, Andy, into a story that the CEO or C-suite is going to buy off on, When particularly when you have like the sales team? And this still happens. I heard it this week. The sales team going, no, you can't sell over there. You can't sell direct e-com. You can't sell on Amazon. You can't sell these other places. It's going to destroy our relationship. We, you know, it's going to, it's going to cannibalize our existing. I heard this firsthand from people saying, oh, I, you know, I can't convince my, my SVP of marketing and sales who manages both online and offline you know i I can't convince them to invest in some of this stuff because they have to feed the beast they have to feed the traditional distribution channel right i can't cannibalize that why would i sell directly it's got to all be incremental right well i don't want to i don't want to minimize that argument because there is some truth that they've heavily invested in certain channels but 
what get lost in this whole conversation is it doesn't matter what you want as a seller. All that mm. matters is what do buyers want because they're going to decide on their own. And you could right. have the most beautiful, you know, uh, circumstance set up that you're offering to to buyers, um, but if they choose not to like it, it doesn't matter. It's all wasted sunk cost. And so yep. that's what's missing in the conversation. When I talk to companies, I always say, look. What is your what is your buyer data say? And sadly, yeah. many of them don't ha have, especially online or omni-channel. They got offline buyer data. Yeah. But when you present, you know, where are people researching, where are they buying, mm -hmm. where are they servicing, yep. it can change based on product and change based on customer type. You need to service all these channels. Mm -hmm. And uh, most companies don't know, and as a result, they kind of def they sort of default to what they've always known, which is right. I've heard people, companies have told me this, our value add is talking to our sales reps. And I'm like, if I asked your customers, would they say that? Right, exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating to me. I think in the book, in my book, I argue that, you know, you really have to understand the ultimate customer, the user of the product in the field and understand their buying preferences and things like that as you make these decisions. But you're not going to, to, to you know, to change how they want to buy. I think one of the greatest examples, um, you know, of all of this, Andy, is Granger, right? You brought this example to light. And how Granger has evolved, how it's thinking about and presenting multi-channel selling. Yeah, so Granger's always had a will call window, which was typically you would call the store, or you'd call right. a customer call center, they would you know message the store, and you would go pick it up. Yep. Because a lot of people needed these things same day; they couldn't wait for it to be delivered, right? So there's the will call window on the left, and then inside the the branch, you can see there's will call right next to customer service, right? That's all mm -hmm. fine and dandy. That's mm -hmm. existed for a long time. Increasingly, though, this is people ordering online and going right. to the store, which, right. by the way, that's a net positive. <clears throat> mm -hmm. When people order online and go to the store, that means online drove people to offline and it increases the ticket because as people are walking through the branch, right. pick up other stuff. What's happened recently mm -hmm. is that these have now probably post pandemic, they've converted from being exclusively will call, which has an, you know, sort of an old metaphor about it. Right. to an express pickup. And you right. can see that little one in the bottom there in the picture for our podcast, you can see it, it says express slash will call. So now right. express has overtaken will call. And yeah. at the top, if you look very closely under the express pickup sign, it says place order, yep. which means you can actually place an order in the store. So what's actually happening here is all these channels are cross-modifying one another. And you and I have seen this in the research Online lifts offline sales oh. and offline lifts online yeah. sales. Absolutely. Andy, I lived this, right? This is another example of B2B adopting stuff that's been in B2C for years. I mean, 15 years ago when I was running e-commerce at Harbor Freight Tools and PacSun and the, the consumer side, we were bringing on products. You know, we were allowing people to pick up product in store that they would order online and vice versa. Andy, funny story. Our number one selling item at Harbor Freight Tools on the e-commerce site was a trencher, a $3,000 towable trencher. Guess why? The stores couldn't put it in their back room. It was too big and bulky. And it was our number one item. And we would get people coming in, you know, coming to store and ordering it from the store, having it delivered to their home. We had, pe we had people ordering in store other items. But when we were driving uh, traffic to the store, we, pr we proved out, but at both of those companies I mentioned, we proved out that, that folks were buying more when they went into the store and vice versa, when we extended the aisle from the store through e-commerce, our associates would have, you know, the extended aisle available to them. 
They could order for pickup in the store or shipment to home. It all works together. It's just another example of B2B catching up to B2C, right? Thinking more omni-channel. So this is a subtle issue. Buyers have already decided they want to be, you know, they want the channels to blur and to blend. But right. the challenge has always been on the on the sell side. Yeah. They are organized a certain way. They struggle with it. They think right. a certain way. And the reality is there's, there's no question here. The buyers have already decided this. It's only a question of when the sellers actually get on board with where the buyers are, which is why yes. the conclusion here is that it's about both shift and lift. Yeah, that It always has that. been, always will be. Uh, yep. And you need to judge all channels, not just digital, all channels by these very same metrics. Because I often joke that Digital is held to an un unfair standard. They have to demonstrate incrementality around everything, but a lot of the offline channels don't. It's Does the, the customer call center have to demonstrate incrementality? Yep. It is the wrong way to think. And I, I think as you look at companies, to your point, that are winning share, Granger, Amazon, others, they do not think about incrementality the way that a lot of traditional B2B does. Guys, you have to, CEOs that are listening here, you got to be thinking differently about this. Uh, it's, it's, it's about everything working together. I love to say, Andy, it's not incremental. It's existential, these investors. Yeah, there you go. Right. That's right. so, existential. Exactly. So we did our LinkedIn <laughs> poll, right? Should, should online revenue necessarily cannibalize offline revenue in B2B? We asked our LinkedIn audience this. 96% said no, that e-commerce lifts all channels. I think our audience is probably a little biased, Andy, because they're mostly e-com folks. But, you know, the point is that I think we all recognize that this is not just about incrementality, at least at at least at the e-commerce, you know, sort of operating and executive levels. It's really getting that thinking up to the C-suite, which is which which exists at places like Granger and MSC and Fastenal and et cetera, et cetera. And obviously Amazon. So, uh, folks, we're coming up. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, Andy. You no, that's totally, you're totally right. You nailed it. Yeah. So just a couple of things, because we're, we're at Friday 18 now. A couple of upcoming events, folks. We have in-person events all over the country happening. We have waiting lists for, I think, more than half of these now, Andy. E-commerce executive roundtables in LA, Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas, Minneapolis. Then we have our summit coming up on June 4th. We are more than half full on that. We'd love to have you guys sign up for that. We do have a few complimentary tickets available for practitioners still available. And of course, we have a few um, we have a few sponsor spots left on that too, Andy. So, you know, any, any, uh, Solution providers listening in, we'd love to talk to you about that. Um, it's it's going to be a fantastic event, about 130 people at the University of Chicago in June. Um, and uh, this is our summit here. Uh, those of you watching, you can see some pictures of our summit. Uh, and of course, we also encourage you to join the forum. Andy, this week, we had a fantastic back and forth. People asking about um, commerce, headless commerce platforms, things like that, approaches. Someone asked a question. We had like 15 people weigh in on the on the, you know, on the back and forth on comments, uh, people offering to help. That's what the forum's about. It's about practitioners. It's only practitioners. You go to our website, masterb2b.com, click on forum. If you're a practitioner, submit an application to join and it's free and you can then uh, network and get questions answered in a confidential setting. That was fantastic this week, Andy. I'm just, I know you watched that happen as well as me. So um, that, that's exactly what we, the interaction that we see and want and the value that we add, which is invaluable to, uh, to a practitioner. Yeah, and there's nothing else out there like it that I know. I've never seen anything like it. Somebody had posted they needed help finding a UI UX vendor and mm -hmm. got bombarded with suggestions. And I actually spoke with that person and she was thrilled. She was like, yeah, I actually used some of these people. I reached out to them. We did some interviews. They're moving through the process. So again, 
Where else can you get recommendations that are that specific and that high quality? I can't really think of anything. No, you really, really, really can't. So anyway, folks, we're at Friday 20. Uh, Stephen Jawar, by the way, thank you for your comment. Uh, we'll get back to you on, on LinkedIn. Appreciate that as it came in. And folks, we'll see you next week on our next Friday 15. Don't miss it. We'll have another great topic to chat about. Andy, good day today. Talk to you soon. See you guys then.